Our scripture reading today is found in Luke twenty-four thirty-two, And they said to one another, Did our hearts not burn within him while he talked within us, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? Amen. Hearts burning. Our prayer and praise time is now. The only prayer request that was on the board is for Lori Jones. This is Amanda's friend. She's been very ill and went to the ER this morning. And this is from earlier this week that she wrote this. That she was told they think her kidneys are shutting down and possibly gallbladder has problems. Pray for her health. As I talked with Amanda this morning, the doctors were wrong. And it was a viral infection that she has. And so now we need your prayers that those medications that they pumped into her for kidneys shutting down and for gallbladder problems would be negated because they're causing side effects and that her viral infection can be taken care of instead. I saw one hand. We will do that. Let's bow. Father, we thank you for this privilege to come and bow before you in prayer because we trust you and because you love us. We praise you that Lori does not have kidneys shutting down and gallbladder problems. And we ask for your powerful hand as the physician to negate the effects of the drugs that were given to her for those issues and to heal her from the virus that she has instead. We thank you that you are so able, so willing. I praise you for being with Jamie as well. First of all, for sparing his life in that explosion, and second, for giving him healing, as his body has a lot of burns to deal with right now. Thank you for being with his family as they watch and they wait and they pray. And thank you that we can join with them. Now, Lord, as we go into worshiping you through listening to your word that you're providing through Matt, send your Holy Spirit. Open our ears and our hearts and our eyes and give to Matt your spirit and um, speak through his mouth. Thank you for this fellowship. Amen.
Well, good morning and happy Sabbath. As I like to do, I'm going to bow, uh, let's bow our heads one more time uh, before we open the word. Heavenly Father, again, we want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together in your house. I thank you for each person that's in this building uh, that's here this morning listening or those that may be listening at another time. I thank you for each one here. We ask that you would rebuke Satan's power to distract us. I pray that you would empty me of myself so I can be filled with you. Just anoint my, my lips, my tongue, that the words that I speak are from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. We're going to set the scene for this reading here. So Jesus has just been crucified. He had lived his life and had his ministry that was pretty successful. A lot of people were following him. These disciples that we're going to be reading about had been following him for his earthly ministry those several years. They had learned from him. They had followed him wherever he was, you know, ate with him, stayed where he had stayed. They loved him. To that, up to that point, you know, they believed that he was the, the Messiah, the promised one, right? In their mind at that point, though, they had believed that he was going to be the one that was going to physically change the world and get them out of the Roman, under, from under the Roman control, right? But here he is, sitting in a grave. How does that work? So, we pick up the story in verse 13. Their leader had just been crucified and placed in a tomb, but then this morning, he's gone. We don't know where he went. We have some hope, but we don't know where he went. We find our two disciples traveling, walking on a road to a town called Emmaus, which was about a seven-mile journey uh, from Jerusalem. Let's start reading in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and a word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and their rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and a certain woman 
of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that he had also seen a vision of angels and said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. We'll pause there. So imagine you're one of these disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. What do you do when someone you loved dies? Maybe they were consoling each other, talking about what had happened. Imagine your whole world changed overnight, right? You were with this guy who you thought was going to be the one to change everything and bring victory and freedom from the Romans. So they're walking and talking, and it says they were sad, right? I'd be pretty depressed too if I were them. So they were busy talking to each other about the weekend's events, probably reminiscing of what happened the last three years, right? They come upon this man, must have been traveling the same direction, it doesn't necessarily say, and they strike up a conversation. He asks, what are you talking about that you're looking so sad? And so they share the story, right? Well, they actually respond, you know, we've been talking about what's going on this last weekend. Where have you been? Have you been hiding under a rock? I mean, I'm sure news has traveled pretty fast, right, about this guy named Jesus. And here this guy is asking, well, what are you talking about? And as it turns out, this man was Jesus, unbeknownst to the disciples. In my study, it, it talked about most likely their eyes were shadowed from a supernatural perspective. But also they were probably pretty uh, uh, oblivious to who was standing right next to him because they were just so focused on what just happened. Where did he go? The tomb is empty. Right? So they asked him in more or less words, where have you been that you don't know? Are you the only stranger in this land who doesn't know what just happened? Let's pick it up in verse 25. Then he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Continuing on, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them and gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 
And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So here we have it. They just questioned Jesus. Where have you been? Do you not know what's been going on? And then Jesus says, Oh, you foolish and slow of heart. Don't you know what's been going on? He questioned their slow understanding about what has already been written and prophesied and proceeded to quote scripture after scripture about himself. And finally they arrived at their destination and like it says, he was going to continue on, but they asked him, abide with us, stay with us. It's about evening time. So he went in and they stayed. I'm sure they probably visited some more. And when it was time, they prepared the meal, and which was an, an unusual custom, he took the, the role of the host and offered a prayer and broke the bread. And then, just like that, they recognized him and then vanished. How cool would that have been to be eating and all of a sudden you realize who is standing right there in your midst? Jesus, the one who was just dead, and then rose again. I wanted to read again verses 28 and 29. When they, then they drew near the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. Abide with us. The title of the sermon is Abide With Me. What does it mean to abide? I looked up the definition, and there's some interesting interesting uh, definitions out there. The origin, origins excuse me, are from Old and Middle English. The word abiden, to remain, to wait, to wait for, to delay, to remain behind. In the text here in the Greek, it, it, the word is meno, to stay or in a given place, state or relationship, to abide, remain, dwell, continue, tarry, or endure. How do we abide in Jesus? Really abide. Especially like in the disciples' case when things are going sideways. Let's talk in practical, simple terms that we can actually do, something we can actually do. This concept of abiding screams to me of relationship. Turn with me to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Maybe you know where I'm going with this. Verse 14. The first thing we're going to talk about is prayer. Because in abiding in a relationship... You can't have a relationship very easily without communication, right? Prayer, uh, prayer is our mainstay in our relationship with Jesus. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins 
and will heal their land. What does this text tell us about that Jesus promises to do if we talk to him? He will hear us. Doesn't give any specifics on how you're going to pray. You could be, in my case, sometimes I'm driving to work. I'll sit there and I'll clean off my seat because sometimes stuff piles up, right? So I'll clean it off. I'll have a spot for Jesus to sit. And I'll imagine he's right there. And I talk to him. I talk to him like I'm just talking to somebody that's actually physically sitting there. doesn't matter if you're doing that or if you're in your morning devotions, in your prayer room, wherever you have those, whether it's you're in a crisis situation, Lord, please help! What does it promise us? He hears you. What else? It goes on that he forgives us and he heals our brokenness. Prayer is an amazing thing. And again, you might say, but Matt, I'm kind of new at this prayer thing. How do I do it? My suggestion, start simple. Talk to him as you would be talking to a friend. It doesn't have to be anything grand or glorious. Something simple. Just talk to him. Tell him what's going on in your life. Have a conversation. I would suggest, though, a strong, thriving prayer life is a must if we are to abide. All right. Make a conscious decision. Like it says here also, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Making that conscious effort. You know, the Lord never forces us into a relationship. He doesn't make us abide. Stay here or else. You're out. He doesn't do that, right? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. It's an invitation, isn't it, to abide? But we have to make that decision to abide in him and ask him into our lives. He won't ever force you, force his way into your hearts. Revelation 3, verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. He's there. He's asking to come into your heart today. It's your choice if you're going to open the door and let him in. You have a decision. So, conversation is a must. Making that conscious decision. Spend time with him. Let him come into your heart. Abide with him. And then, studying his word. Getting to know him that way. Our call to worship came from John chapter 15. And we're going to read a little bit from there as well. John chapter 15, starting in verse 5. 5 through 8. Another place where we talk about abiding in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. How do we abide? If my words abide in you, how do we know the words? You have to pick this up, right? And you have to actually read it. There are so many cool stories in here about the love of Jesus for you what he's done for people in the past and what he's willing to do for you. So pick it up. Read it every day. We're going to reference back to Luke 24, 25 through 28. This comes out of the SDA Bible commentary. And it's talking about when Jesus was you know, sharing with the disciples all the things from the prophets Where did those things come from? The prophecies. They were written down, weren't they? The Old Testament. That's all the Bible they had back then, right? The scriptures. So it was essential for them to understand the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament together when the historical incidents and sacred rites that pointed forward to Christ, these alone could provide a firm foundation for their faith. These alone could provide a firm foundation for their faith. A supposed faith in Christ that is not firmly rooted in the teachings of the scriptures cannot possibly remain steadfast when the storms of doubt blow. It was the fulfillment of the Old Testament that in, these, in the events recorded later in the New Testament to which Jesus now drew their attention. So the disciples in question must have been scholars and students of, uh, of the Bible, right? Of the scriptures that they had. They would have known what he was talking about. Part of me wonders how foolish they probably felt when he's listing off all these things and yet they're still looking for Jesus to come and wipe out the Romans, right? Oh, how else do we get to know Jesus? We talk to him. We have to make that decision to spend time with him. How do we learn about the people who have come before us? When you go to school, you have to study history, right? It's all written down in a book. We have to study it. My suggestion is that the same thing applies here. We can learn more about Jesus by studying the word. And then obedience by grace and faith in him. Sharing what we've learned with others. He's asked each one of us who have decided to follow him to do what? To go out and spread the good news. What is this good news? Jesus is coming again. He's risen from the dead, risen from the grave, and he's coming and he wants to spend eternity with each one of you. And you might say, though, that, but Matt, you know, I'm kind of an introvert. I don't like to do things in public. I can't get up front. 
It doesn't matter what your gift is. Each one of us is probably given. I shouldn't say is probably. Every one of us can do something for Jesus. Philippians 2.13 tells us that he works in us. He works in us. Both to will and to do his good pleasure. Spend time with him. Talk to him. Tell him your concerns. Hey, Jesus, you know, I'm a little afraid right now. I need you to fulfill that promise that you said you would work in me to will and then to go do it. I need a little boost right here, so help me out. Each one of you can do something for him. Abide with me. These disciples have asked him because they start getting excited when they hear what he's talking about. Jesus so desperately desires to be in a relationship with you. But the devil's working almost just as hard at keeping you from that relationship, right? Sin separates us from him. And the devil tries anything he can to distract, to confuse, to disappoint, to draw our attention away from Jesus. But abide, stay, stay in that relationship. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to bridge that gap that Satan created and to mend our broken relationships. He left his heavenly kingdom to abide with us for 33 years. Right? He left his heavenly kingdom to become a created being here with us to bridge that gap. And he's promised that he's coming back to abide with us forever. At this point, I want you to take your hymnals back out. If you'd like, I'm going to share some music with you. There was a man by the name of Martin, I'm going to probably butcher this name, Martin Lottie Hofford. He was a Presbyterian minister and scholar. He lived during the Civil War and wrote this particular hymn during the Civil War. Turn to not abide with me, number 50, but abide with me, tis eventide, number 46. So Martin wrote these words during the Civil War, and the backdrop of that, you can imagine what he would have heard of, the things that he had probably seen, He was actually uh, in the army at the time and had been given a post. Uh, He was in the command of a military institute in Pennsylvania during the Civil War. So think about the bloodshed that happened there and the, the horrific scenes one might have seen. And then he penned these words. When else might a person need to abide in Jesus Christ more than during that war, during any war? At this time, you can go ahead and read these words. The words in the song don't necessarily completely correlate with what you see on the page, but it's a beautiful song nonetheless. Go ahead, Rick. Abide with me, tis eventide, the day. Shadows 
Thank you. 
strife, pain, trials that we've each dealt with. It seems like the daylight's kind of just slipping away from us. And there's a lot of negative connotations when we think of nighttime, right? Violence, crime, all kinds of evil. I would suggest that the whole world is kind of seeing this night kind of overshadow it. You know, our disciples, as they were walking, it started to get to be nighttime. They wanted him. They felt something. They knew something was different about this man. Abide with us. Stay with us. I hope this song is each one of our prayers. You know, without Jesus, where would we be? I want you to think about that. Think about all that the disciples had gone through. Their world had come crashing down overnight. But during their walk, they realized what they needed and what they so desired. And this man had something wonderful that he was sharing with them. There's likely going to be more struggles that each one of us is going to face. But God has promised that he will be our God and give us all things. We need Jesus in our hearts, in our lives, every single day. I'm going to finish by reading Psalm 91. You can turn there if you would like. Psalm, and we will kind of have this be our closing prayer. Then we'll follow it with our closing hymn. Psalm 91. And the title on this one says to me, Safety of Abiding in the Presence of God. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your right side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your ways. 
In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Abide with me. 